are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. trying to find ways to pass the time in quarantine as we all experience our very own TNA pay-per-view name. We are here via our Ica Pro Power DeLorean back in a time where we kind of wish we had some sort of terrible virus to stop us going to wrestling because we could do with not watching stuff from this era sometimes. It gets a bit shonky. This week a slight exception. And who be we? I be fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio, former Cultaholic heavyweight champion Tom Campbell. I am with the bear in the big blue bar cage, the head pen of Cultaholic. If you were to hand him a pencil, if you were to hand him a pencil, he would immediately push you away because one, social distancing, and two, you're not wearing gloves, and three, he don't need it, he needs a pen. He gets it right every time. That's why he is Justin Henry, and he is off of America. Very unpersonal turning point. Genesis, which one are you talking about? Your very own victory road, my friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I wasn't we, sure where you were going there. Is it like, like unbreakable and I'm in a wheelchair like Sam Jackson? Well, no, what's going to happen is you're going to have a fight with Sting and just get really, really messed up before the match starts. There's plenty of upside there. You know, I'll keep my job. You know, I'll still be a main eventer. They'll put the belt on me again eventually. It'll all work itself out. You're going to be fine, honey. You're going to be fine. And it's not just me and uh, Justin Henry from off of America this week. Uh, we have a, a third wheel uh, on our tricycle. And uh, I'm really, really excited to, to bring this guy to the podcast because many years ago, um, when I was uh, I, long before uh, the cultaholic dream, any other dream happened, I was working. Uh, this is a little true story. I was working at uh, working with my dad, and I was working in a warehouse, and uh, I had podcasts to keep me sane. And there was one podcast that I fell in love with. And I listened every week and it was RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk. And I loved it so much that I would interact with the show. And, and to the grace of all that was good, uh, the host of the show uh, even allowed me on on a couple of occasions just to voice stuff. And it was the first time that I actually kind of felt like I had a wrestling community that I belonged to. And it's been so many years since we actually spoke. And I reached out the other month and said, hey, we're doing this thing. Come and say hi. And he joins me today, the host of RBR Wrestling, uh, William R. Washington. William R. Washington, how you doing, old friend? Tom Campbell, man, I am so excited to do this <laughs> with you. I, I, I have a couple of true stories I want to tell really quick. Oh, go for uh, it. Yeah, so uh, obviously, uh, as he mentioned, I've been doing RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk a really long time. Uh, this is its 15th year. Um, and... Uh, I started interacting with Tom right around like somewhere in the first year, I want to say. Uh, and because I remember I did the WrestleMania 23 special with you. And uh, so that would have been about like two years in. Um, but funny thing was we used to have this segment on RBR called um, the lightning round. And uh, when 
we first started doing it, my former co-host, uh, Michael Z, used to write these bits for us. And it was kind of like weekend update for uh, with for pro wrestling headlines, kind of like what Cultaholic does now. Um, and so this is just a testament to how good Tom has always been with his wit. Uh, he, once Michael Z left the show, um, I was like, well... You know, we're not, like, good at this kind of stuff. So, like, Tom, could you, like, write the lightning round for us? And he did every week. And we fumbled through it every week because, like, if you listen to, like, his intro there, for example, like, Tom's always just been good at – he's just always had this great orating skill. And, like, no matter what it is, he could just do it and do it quickly. stop it. Stop it, about his speed, right? But he would write those same type of bits for us, and we would just fumble over them. Every single week. And uh, and then, of course, there was, like, the breakdown between um, American references. Like, there was one time where I forgot what the headline was, but the, the punchline was going to be that, like, Stacey Keebler isn't smart. Uh, or no, it wasn't Stacey Keebler. It was Maria Canellas. And uh, he messages me, and he's like, hey, what do you call liquid paper in the U.S.? And I was like, whiteout. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. And the, the punchline was going to be that she put whiteout on her screen. Um, it's, uh, it was little things like that, but it was fun uh, back then. It's just good times. I miss it a lot. Oh, I forgot I did the lightning round. <laughs> Yeah, it was like 13 years ago. Wow, unlucky 13. Well, look at this. How you doing there, William? I'm doing great. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well. What part of the states are you from? I am in Colorado, where we are currently under stay-at-home orders. So I have literally nothing else to do right now but watch old wrestling and talk about it. That's what I do even when there's not a stay-at-home order. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how we roll, isn't it, mate? Oh, yeah, pretty much. It's uh, not passing the time. Uh, Colorado ain't doing too bad, according to these numbers I'm looking at right now. I'm in New Jersey, so we have a New York above us, which is a – who that's kind of a teeming mass toxic right now. It's real bad. Like, we're, we're doing okay here. I think we're uh, – of the area, we're probably the worst in Colorado. But uh, I will say that um, – relatively to some of the other major states, we're doing okay. I'm in extreme South Jersey, so I'm nowhere near the epicenter. I'm, I'm like three hours away from it. Yeah, New York City's kind of a, a hellhole at the moment. What do you mean at the moment? Hey, just jumping in with a little, <laughs> little joke there. <laughs> Justin, we turn to you. Where and when are we for Monday Night Raw this week? Well, it's our first live Raw in about six weeks. Monday, August 1st, 1994, we are live from the Beagley Center in Youngstown, Ohio. I think the history of WB.com may have gotten something wrong here. It says there's 8,000 fans here. There's no effing way that is true. <laughs> I would say the observer's estimate about 2,300 is much more apt. I don't know where they got 8,000 from, but I mean, mistakes are made. Is it the same place uh, that Tony Khan said that you could put uh, 50,000 people in Craven Cottage for Fulham? Uh, and he talked to the Bucks on the podcast this weekend he said, and because the, the, the Khans own uh, Fulham FC, the soccer team. I say soccer because America, friends. And, um, <laughs> and he said, and it, he took the Young Bucks to Craven Cottage, which is the ground for Fulham FC. And he said, we can get 50,000 wrestling fans in here. And it's like, Khan, mate, you can barely get 25,000. What are you doing? And I, the annoying thing is I put that out in the news today and all I've had is messages from people saying, uh, you can't get 50,000 people in Craven Cottage. I, said, I know, Khan said it. Take it out of me. Furious. I'm just, 
I'm just nodding because I have no idea what building you're talking about. It's uh, um, uh, the Jets. It's where Fulham plays, right? Okay, I guess Fulham's a team or something. Yeah, Fulham, Fulham is just outside of London. Uh, so Fulham FC is the football mm-hmm. club that the Khans own, mm-hmm. which is why if any wrestling company is going to do a Wembley Stadium SummerSlam type shenanigan, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be AEW. Um, do they have a rival called Emptium? Way! They do now. Okay. We're going to pretend they do. Justin, take us back to 1994. How old would you have been in 94? Uh, at this point of the show, I would have been 10 years old, and I would turn 11 later in the year. And you were a fully a fully fledged wrestling fan at this point? Oh, absolutely. I've been a fan for about five years at this point. Okay, okay. What can you remember from being 10? <laughs> oh, wow. Let's see. Um... <clears throat> I feel like we always talk about wrestling. We never talk about you. Well, at this point in time, if I recall correctly, I had this unhealthy obsession of spending my allowance money on Nintendo games that I bought at the flea market. No. Old games that, n- that no one ever wanted for like $2. So, so I'm running home to play like Urban Champion and Blades of Steel Hockey and just want well, Blades of Steel is actually a good game. But uh, I was a pretty typical kid, just you know, suburban New Jersey, hanging out with my friends, playing sports outside, and of course, watching a healthy amount of wrestling. Well, yourself. I was seven years old, and... Um... I was actually on the road at this point. I was really thinking about, like, was this the point where we left California? Because I, uh, I was born in California, and then we moved to Colorado in 1994. And uh, I remember we took this big road trip, and it was right at the beginning of August. Uh, it was, like, late July, early August, because I remember it was, like, this incredibly sweaty car ride that we ended up taking. Um, now, what I was into at this point in time was Power Rangers, and I remember that vividly because of the fact that, one, I'm still in the Power Rangers, but two, um, when my – in the state of California at that point, like that was like a year in a Power Rangers run, those toys were impossible to find. You could not find them in the entire Southern California area. Uh, however, as we started taking our road trip and we made it into like the, the cities in Nevada no one ever talks about, they had Power Rangers toys everywhere. And so, like, I remember coming out of that road trip right around early August of 94 with, like, all of these Power Rangers toys. I had Tommy. I had the uh, I had the Megazord. I had the Dragon Dagger. I had everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. I don't even care that I left my home behind. Um, uh, I was a wrestling fan at the time. However, we were a WCW family. And so, like, I, I watched WWF. Uh, quite a bit, just because they weren't on opposing. I mean, they weren't on the same night. But I was more into the things happening on WCW Saturday Night, and I was more like Sting was my favorite wrestler. So uh, it's always fun to get to go back and revisit stuff like this, just because of the fact that uh, it wasn't my primary viewing. Well, it's funny that you mention um, WCW, you being a WCW fan, because uh, as uh, in terms of this particular week in history, uh, according to The Observer, uh, a new round of uh, tapings of Worldwide are about to take place at Disney MGM. Uh, Hulk Hogan will be the focal point of the tapings, of course. Hogan's quest to find out who attacked him at Clash of the Champions is going to take the center stage. Question for you both. Um, to Justin, to you, Will. Who was meant to attack Hulk Hogan? I believe it was Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Will, any advance on that? Nope, nothing. Uh, I don't know. 
It was indeed Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Right. It was meant to be Hennig joining WCW, but that never happened. That never came to pass. Uh, but it's all well, right. It was, we got well, the butcher. I'll say it was kind of a problem there because Kurt Hennig um, still had a contract with WWF at the time. And uh, it would have been inadvisable to have him be the one to pull the Tanya Harding on Hogan's Nancy Kerrigan, <laughs> smashing his knee with the, with, with, the, with the lead pipe. Although it is amazing. like Contracts are so much different now than they were then where like back then both companies were like willing to write storylines around guys that they were anticipating getting because like we didn't really have like big contract tampering rules <laughs> the way we do now where like you can't even have a conversation with anybody until like we know that their contract is up well nowadays you have you know Brody Lee and AEW on, on December 9th alright he's going to be the uh, the exalted one uh, he'll be here in about 90 days might as well just start writing it now yeah Whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, the exalted Vince based on the recent vignette with him and uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. What did we think no. of that team? I I thought it was tremendous. I mean, it, it, it was clearly uh, – I don't know if it's like a, just a one-shot thing where they're making fun of Vince the one time or if the whole idea is that, that the Dark Order is a cult and, and with a Vince-like leader that WWE – the parody of WWE being a cult mentality where they just do what Vince tells them to do. And they're all afraid to question Vince. If that's like you know, one giant satire of WWE in general. I kind of like the latter, to be honest. I like the idea of, um, like, especially if it's just kind of, if it goes off in more of a cheeky way, like where it never actually directly name drops Vince, um, mm -hmm. but uh, just almost drops like little stories we've heard, like the sneezing thing, like the uh, eating the steak first kind of stuff. Um, but the idea of uh, I almost feel like it could almost go too comedic, but the idea of Brody Lee being almost like an incompetent leader, and but everybody's still like following everything he does and nobody like questioning, because I have a feeling the next place they would literally go is, um, I don't know, like Alex Reynolds gets hurt and uh, he's like, oh my god, I need to go to a hospital, and Brody Lee is like, a what? And he's like, a hospital, I need to go to a hospital. He's like, a local medical facility. <laughs> 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 hey, my uh, exalted one. My pants keep sagging. Here, put on this title. That'll, that'll hold it up. <laughs> the belt title. I'm nervous that he might just start doing the Vince walk, though. And it's just, uh, then it just becomes a complete parody. Yeah, don't go that far. But if you think at least just like do little references, I think that'd be funny. Imagine the peacock strut with the with the Brody Lee eyes. <laughs> I can't, because then I won't sleep again. I want a wind-up toy that does that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big moment, according to the Observer, to happen this month in this particular year in ECW as an NWA title tournament will take place in Philadelphia on the 27th Ooh. of August. I'm sure that'll all go fine and nothing bad will happen. <laughs> It'll go off without a hitch, trust yeah, me. it'll be fine. They'll show all the respect for the National Wrestling Alliance. It'll be brilliant. Uh, one more nothing little... Oh, go on, my friend. I was, I was, I was going to say nothing the least bit controversial is going to happen. It'll be you know, all hunky-dory. <laughs> one, uh, one more little tidbit before we get into the show. Uh, WWF had a show cancelled on the 31st of July in Jonestown, Pennsylvania at the very last minute. Was it because, A, they forgot to book the venue, B, they sent the <laughs> ring on the wrong day, or C, the venue closed for refurbishment but didn't tell them. 
I already saw the answer, so I'll, I'll let William answer this one. Oh, man, that could be anything. Uh, B? Yes. Okay, uh, Justin, what do you reckon? A, forgot to book the venue. B, sent the ring on the wrong day. C, the venue closed without telling them. Like I said, I already saw the answer, so it would be unfair. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, just, Justin isn't going to answer. Will, you absolutely on the money. They sent the ring on the wrong day. Nice! It <laughs> uh, was cancelled at the last minute with the wrestlers in the, build, in the building because the ring was accidentally sent to Youngstown a day early, which, according to Dave Meltzer, sounds like something that would happen in WCW. And it probably was. Let me tell you something. If if TNA did that in the last 15 years, that'd be like a top story on every website. Oh, of course it would. Of course it. We love it when TNA does something a bit silly. It's brilliant news. Of course uh, we do. So that's the observer from this time. We now head over to uh, Justin Henri, who will talk us through uh, this particular episode of Monday Night Raw. Quite an interesting one, this one. Yes, uh, Justin Henri, Thierry's brother. See, I know something about. <laughs> I know something about, about the footballers. Thanks, um, thanks for calling it footballers. Yes, I'm trying to be... Um, that's what they're called. Reaching across the pond here. Thanks, mate. We open up with a little history package of Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. And I got excited you? seeing this, by the way. <clears throat> yes, we picked a good show for you to show up on. <laughs> this, I said this at the, start, at the end of last week. This feels like we've got a guest coming round, so we've tidied up. Like, Raw has just been so wobbly for the last few weeks. Like, oh, Will's coming. Um, put put Sean and Razor on. Uh, Bull Nakano and Melinda <laughs> Blaze, put them on. <clears throat> yes, we, like have, uh, we have highlights of the WrestleMania 10 ladder match, which they put over as being one of the biggest matches of all time, one of the best matches of all time. And then we come to the uh, somewhat you know, antiquated but somewhat uh, comfortably dated um to the camera promos, we start with Razor, and of course he promises to win, but then he looks off camera to where Sean would presumably be, and then Sean's promo fades in, so we get like this little brief moment of Razor looking at Sean while Sean's still kind of fading and Razor's fading out. Kind of cheesy. It like a love song music video. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it, it looked like an old like uh, almost. I don't know, babyface type music video, and I don't mean babyfaces in wrestler, but babyfaces in like the R and B uh, artist, and uh, just the way that uh, they were kind of looking off towards each other, and uh, like the fade in especially, because like as it ends, Razor looks over, and then Sean fades in, and uh, Sean's like looking over at where Razor would be, and it almost looks like a love connection that was just uh, that just couldn't quite make it. When. Win beneath my click. <laughs> John, John, um, an album, album art, wind beneath my click. I haven't explained this to you, Will. Hang on, let me explain this bit. So uh, we have a, a an extra member of the team. His name is John Eiley, and uh, he is our Photoshop guru, and he listens to the podcast. So what we do is, if there's anything that we visualize in our mind's eye that we'd like brought to life, we just shout John and we describe it and John will bring it to life. So if there's anything that you visualize that you'd like to see in real life, just shout John with some instructions. And I guarantee you on Saturday night, they will be on your Twitter timeline. Nice. All right. John, I'm excited for this. John is basically the stenographer for our progressive dementia. <laughs> he is. He really is. He's a hero. <laughs> well, yes, they, kind of like in the uh, Women Beneath My Wings song. Women, Women Beneath My Click. Did you ever know, Chico, that you're my... Actually, every, did you ever know that you're my Chico? 
Sean oh. be like, you're, you're never ever going over me. <laughs> beautiful night. I like when Sean's primary says, I make all my dates. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. I know Heels lie, but come on. <laughs> That's a good one. Hey, that wouldn't happen for a couple more years. We're okay. I'm about to get Paul Hamper. I make sure everybody gets paid. <laughs> <laughs> we hit the intro. We go to ringside. We got Savage and Vince. Savage bellows, welcome back, Vince McMahon, because this is indeed Vince's return oh, from a uh, no. summer camp. <laughs> summer camp! This <laughs> <laughs> Vince was a camp Granada for a few weeks. This is this is the first time we have seen Vince since the trial, <laughs> and and I don't know whether they they were very subtle about it, guys. I don't know whether you know. Oh, they were very subtle oh about goodness. there being a trial. Yeah. Very subtle about just name dropping Jerry McDevitt on TV. And let me tell you something: for the past however many months on this show, Tom and I have advocated for Randy Savage. We felt <laughs> terrible for this man. He doesn't get to wrestle anymore. He's stuck on commentary doing something that he doesn't want to do. He wants to be in the ring contributing, and that he still can contribute at age 41. Still a highly capable main event star, a beloved star. We saw the match he had with Yokozuna earlier this year. He could still go. At this point, I don't want him to ever get anything he wants ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the end for Savage for you? I hope Hogan gets his Slim Jim endorsement. <laughs> That's where I'm at with Savage at this point. Savage it is, it is so funny. It is so funny to see. And we've talked about it a few times on the podcast, how uh, Vince has said, like, oh, Savage, you're too old. You're too old to wrestle. But can you commentate this match featuring Nikolai Volkov? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nikolai Volkov versus, I don't know, Tony Parisi from 1971. That happens. Just whoever. He's a former tag team champion with Tony Guerrero. Yeah, it's um my other theory about this is that maybe Vince wanted the gloat, but he knew he shouldn't do it, so he just had Savage do it on his behalf. That's probably what it was, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh yeah, Randy, you should probably stop bringing that stuff up. Like, oh, not guilty. <laughs> you beat the Justice Department. Oh, uh, come on, Randy, I'm way too humble for that. And yeah. Well, I, I have a question about that, but I suppose it won't come up till later because okay. um, I just did some math here. But because uh, we're talking about Savage's age, but wasn't Backlund like forty-five? <laughs> uh, yes. In fact, Lawler was older than Savage. Nikolai's older than Savage. Uh, Roddy Piper was comparably aged to Savage, and he may have been the King of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's not good. I mean. I mean, it, it does make no sense. It's just one of those things that it's like the whole Chewbacca defense. It just it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Exactly. <laughs> so, but hey, who, who cares about all this uh, annoying stuff involving Savage putting over a or shooting Vince beating a, a very flimsy prosecution case in court? <laughs> we have Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon on this show, gentlemen. We do. Yes, please. My goodness. Shawn Michaels has not wrestled a televised match in five months since WrestleMania 10. This man has not missed the beat. 
you couldn't even tell that Sean had been out of action for, for this whole time. I thought he looked great. I mean, uh, what do we... It was, now, this match was, I feel, the bulk of tonight's episode of Raw. Um, oh, it goes through, like, three commercial breaks. It definitely was. It's massive. It really is. And um, your thought, what, what were your thoughts on it, Justin, first of all? Well, first off, based on what William just said, it may have been too massive based on how the rest of the show ended up going. Oh, God. I can't wait till we get to the end of the oh, show. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the remember, is the, remember, right. remember, the, remember the story of Savage complaining to Razor and Sean at WrestleMania 10 that they went too long and got the 10 man tag screwed over? <laughs> Sean and Razor screwed the smoking guns twice. <laughs> <clears throat> the smoking guns are the Lindsey Buckingham to that um that one Keenan Thompson sketch on SNL where he never gets to talk. I don't remember what the hell is that called? Anyway, um. So this match went um, just by the clock on WWE Network, 18 minutes. And so you have to consider that with, uh, I think at the time, commercial breaks were 2 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, so consider that three times throughout. So we are really looking at close to about a 25-minute match on TV. And on an hour-long <laughs> show, that is uh, quite a bit. Now, if WWF was like structured more to, like, do this type of thing where, mm -hmm. hey, you just have this one match and then maybe a couple of segments surrounding it, but they still intended on doing um, everything else they did. And so this did take up a lot of time. It did, but I mean, a few weeks ago, they did, they had a Bret Hart 1, 2, 3 kid match that went about 25, but that, was, that show was structured a little bit better, and I'm thinking maybe just maybe this wasn't meant to go 23, I think, I think this one was. Maybe it was meant to go a few minutes shorter, but Sean's kind of had a somewhat history of um, going over his time because he knows he can get away with it because he has the ability to back it up. Something, and this was um, a click audible. I do have a question <laughs> about this match. Um, okay. Did it need Razor Ramon doing a three-hour bear hug? Oh, no, not at mm. all. It, it, it did not. It was kind okay. of weird. It got I'm some sorry. good heat at first, but yeah, then... I'm, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I felt like it got some good heat at first, but then it just felt like it went on forever. And then that's where I get the, what you were saying there. We're like, are the clip just having fun out there? And I guess it's like hindsight, like knowing what we know now, then it suddenly feels like really tough to watch as it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it does pick up again like as it moves on later on in the match. But, I mean, there are parts in the middle of Razor, you know, he does work the bear hug. It feels like Razor's a heel in the match for a while, and that Sean's like this, the, the empathetic baby face that you want to pull for to get out of out of this his painful clutches and fight back. And it, it was kind of oddly structured. But it was still a really good match, though. I think compared Tom? to some of the stuff that we have had on uh on raw over the last few weeks like i was very excited to see this on the docket and even with a big bear hug in the middle and as you say just the the, the feeling that razor was the bad guy for a bit of this it was still it was still it was still great fun we had a weird moment early on where um where savage where savage puts over the um main 10 magic again calling one of the best ever and Vince seems skittish about agreeing with him. He goes like, "Yeah, um, with, with many more to come." Like, like he's kind of like, like we can't say to that 
a 230-pound wrestler was in the, one of the best matches ever. People won't believe that. We need the big guys. Is that what it is, you think? I can't imagine why he wouldn't put that ladder match over more strongly. That was a tremendous match. It was a, it was a paradigm-shifting match. Like, every spot fest today has some DNA from that match. When do we get the, the second ladder match? SummerSlam 95. Oh, I've got a year yet. Now, that one I'm intrigued by. Because, Will, do you know that the, 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 the caveat to this particular ladder match, the, the next one that they have? Um, I've only ever seen the match. I don't remember what the step was. Well, it's still a ladder match, but uh, this is coming at a time when they are, they're trying not to be a violent product. And there's so many more limitations. That's right. I've got that right, Justin. There was loads of limitations on what they could do with the ladder in that match. Yeah, they couldn't use it as a weapon. Oh. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, I'm thinking about the match as it goes on, but I, I didn't remember anything surrounding the product at that time. Uh, one thing I am remembering, though, uh, as far as this particular episode is concerned, um, is... Uh, I'm finding myself recalling as everything's going on throughout this. I'm like, oh, this is like the time period WrestleMania the arcade game is based off of. And uh, keep in mind, I used to play that game to death, despite mentioning that I was a WCW guy. WrestleMania the arcade game, I think I owned it on like every console it could possibly be owned on. Um, so as a, as I'm like watching the intro and and uh, as they later on do the uh, the SummerSlam breakdown, I'm thinking – Wow, I this is that time period. This is everything that game is based off of. Uh, and then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, the game came out in, what, it was early 95. So that would totally make sense that everything was being developed right around mid-94. Yeah, we still had my GM coming out that was Raw for Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. Uh -huh. That was that was the uh, that was when we could beat the referee, and he would leave the ring eventually. That's what I've about many times. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. So would the match just go on until you quit? Well, it went. It turned into a brawl mode. Really, it just ended when someone ran out of energy at that point. I love that. <clears throat> I, I want that to happen more in wrestling games now. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, real life. Or in real life, head ten times. He just waves arms to say "f" it and just walks out. That's it. I want that, please. That'd be great. <laughs> That should be the rule of matches, where, like, if a ref gets knocked out, it suddenly becomes a last-man-standing match. And <laughs> at that point, you just, uh, oh, that would be amazing. Uh, and then suddenly, like, everybody just, uh, like, lights change are like, this match is now a last-man-standing match. Like, oh, you see that? The referee's out. They just have to wrestle till one dies. Or they make, or they make an announcement, oh, Mr. Kyoto, you're double-parked. He leaves the ring, and all of a sudden, now it's a last-man-standing match before he comes back. <laughs> Is it last man standing for good or just till he's moved his car and he got back in the ring? <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, it's a regular match again. Ah, damn. John. sledgehammer. Ah, dang it. John, I want Mike Kyoto frantically trying to park his car. <laughs> we, we keep John busy here. Thanks, John. Love you, John. So this match begins, and Sean is just flying all over the place. He's, he's just, just a human pinball at this point. Typical Sean. And it's soundtrack by Savage making constant legal references, but I'm trying to ignore that because it's we have Sean on the roll again. That's all I want at this point, just to help save the show. We get this awesome spot where Sean tries to dropkick Razor. Razor catches his feet, slingshots him over the ropes, and he plunges right on the diesel, and they both get taken out. That was awesome. 
so good. Just lots of little bits in this match that just woke the crowd up. Um, you know, as uh, a few bits it slowed down in, but stuff like that. Really loved it. Really loved that. No one else does it like these two. This has been like a a match of the year candidate if it had been like fifteen minutes. Yeah, if it'd been a they, bit shorter, we'd have been all right. They tightened the middle up. It had been an all-time Raw classic. As it was, it was just a really, really, really great match. Diesel keeps getting involved, of course, because he's facing Razor at SummerSlam. Then Savage. <laughs> this is actually funnier in hindsight because I I wrote this down verbatim, and knowing how Raw turned out, I thought this was hilarious. Savage is on commentary. I figured it out, Vince. Sean and Diesel just do what they want to do. <laughs> that is a click reference on comms. Amazing. <laughs> As Scott keeps say, I love shoot comments. They aren't supposed to be shoot comments. <laughs> so Sean tries to wear Razor down, gets this great wraparound sleeper where he just flings, he just coils around him like a snake. Big sequence of near falls, lots of close two counts. Savage says he's tired and is going to lay down. Well, that's why Vince isn't using him because he's, he's old and, and very uh, lethargic. That was a weird line where he went, I'm just going to have a lie down. Yeah, all right, mate, you, you, you carry on. Sean tries for the razor's edge. Vince is aghast that Sean would try to beat somebody with their own finisher. But and wait three years. I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, bit, it's a bit slow on that one, mate. I got that. <laughs> well, when it comes to necessity to the company. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned, by the way, that this is the first week with uh, Vince being back on commentary in a while. Yeah. And um, I have to say, that I, I know, like, there's there's a big generation of people who who grew up on WW on the WWF product, especially around this time period, who uh, can live with Vince on commentary. I'm not one of those people um, because he's so bad at it, and uh, it, it's almost weird to think about all of the things he hates about commentary because, like, he almost has all of those problems. But then on top of that. Um, you know, it, it was one of those things where you know that Vince was like creatively in control of the product because uh, he's almost describing it in a way that only somebody who would who put all of this together would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sucks. I, I, I can't stand Vince on commentary, especially around this time period. Uh, I think he got a little bit better toward the end um, and had some better. I mean, some of those uh, better calls in like '96, '97. But God, the way he calls matches is excruciating, and especially like I just found my I, I just watched recently Wrestle War '92, um, mm-hmm. just because I, I wanted to see um, great show, yeah, great show, and you know Tony Khan talked about the fact that it's his favorite match, and that's what he's basing blood and guts off of. So I was like, I kind of want to watch that again because it's been a while, um, yeah. and you know just feeling the way commentary like flowed and the way that. Uh, uh, people are coming at it from a sense of like in-ring expertise, whereas Vince kind of always wanted his product to have like a sense of camaraderie and and things along those lines. And like the one who's doing the play-by-play is the one who has like almost, I, I guess, the one who's calling the action in the ring has at this point no ring experience, and mm-hmm. it just sucks. It's it's not very good at all, and I can't stand Vince uh, on commentary around this time period, and it it takes me out a lot. Well, Vince was more of a pitch man more than anything else. He, his whole goal was just to kind of, you know, in, 
enhance the action of what he wanted to get over and you know, whatever he screams for, whatever he, whatever that sort of thing. But one thing you learn, especially with Savage on commentary with him, Vince has no improv skills at all. <laughs> he, he really has none. Savage, he throws something quirky out there, and Vince has no idea how to like turn it into something. Either he just yuck, he just ha 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 ha, or he just like, oh uh, yeah, something of that sort, and he tries to get back on track. Like Vince doesn't know. Like, well, part of it's Savage because he's not that great of an announcer. When Vince was with Ventura all those years ago, they were a great team, especially on Saturday Night's main event. They were a fantastic commentary team. Like Vince wasn't great, but they, but they knew how to play off of one another. The problem here, for the most part, is kind of Savage. I think, I think more than anything else, but that's just my opinion. And I'm well, over- yeah, and I think just ultimately the commentary is just not any good. But um, I can, because yeah, I think Vince and Jesse had uh, had a dynamic that I think Vince thought he could replicate with Savage. And I think this was we were still at that point where like we weren't quite at full on diminishing returns. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, so I just think we weren't quite there yet. Yeah, but just wait till '95 when when Vince thinks the new depths in terms of uh screaming over everything and it's uh Vince will keep degenerating. He'll much like today when in terms of being a creative mind. Oh gosh, he'll um he'll only get worse on comms. There's some bits he does later on tonight that that are that that really get my hackles up. And normally it's whenever the commentators talk over the ring announcers. That really annoys me. That's my one pet peeve among others. Uh, when when Fink's there announcing the guy, and then you got Vince going, "Oh, here he comes! What a guy this is!" It's like just let Howard announce him, and then do you do your spiel? Shush for a bit. <laughs> We go to the finish in this match where it's a very creative finish, actually. Diesel gets involved. Referee gets tied up with him. Sean tries to use the Intercontinental title of Diesel. Ends up missing. Sean collides with Diesel. There's a little malfunction at the junction, as old JR would say. And then it ends up being that Razor gets thrown into Diesel's boot while he's still on the apron. He somehow has his leg over the top rope for, for reasons. Razor gets blasted right in the chin. Falls back. Sean kind of cradles him. One, two, three, gets the pin. Sean with a tainted win over Razor Ramon. And then so we, it was an excellent match. We get a big old beatdown. All the refs try and stop him, and uh, and Sean and Sean and Diesel put a beating on Razor. Yeah, the I have to say, of... by the way, I, I, and this has just been one of my pet peeves all over the years, but I always hate the tight spot when someone's like not resisting um so like seeing sean grab the tights of razor as he rolls him up but like razor's like out anyway um i don't know it's always a weird visual to me because i feel like razor was like in a perfect position to just kick out anyway uh so i don't know i don't feel like that spot works unless you're like truly set up for it or like really got somebody's legs like over their head as you're holding the tights i i, I get that but my theory is it's just Sean's such a heel that it's just instinctual to grab the tights no matter what. Well, that's it. I kind of feel like it's just heel shenanigans. <laughs> it? It's heel shenanigans. Him like, going, like, I may have knocked him out, but I'll just be sure, and I'll just pull on the material to make sure for definite he stays down. He feels so naked without it. Yeah. It was like the O2 Rumble when Jericho beat Rock, where he hit Rock's head on on the exposed buckle, then rolled him up with the tights and put his feet on the ropes. <laughs> then he cheated three times on one sequence to make sure. He wasn't going to lose that match. As always, overcompensate with everything. 
you can't undercompensate. You can, because then you see what Todd Pettengill's wearing. Well, well, after Diesel holds off all the referees in this bizarre version of Gulliver's Travels, we have this. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have the SummerSlam report. I love the SummerSlam report because I love hearing the song. Brought to you by Domino's. No, 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 Will. Delivered by Domino's. Ah, Domino's sorry. delivers SummerSlam. <laughs> Justin really oh. loves that verbiage, you see. <laughs> Domino's delivers SummerSlam and you're not getting a tip. <laughs> I have to say, by the way, that pizza looked great. And maybe it's because, like, I haven't had pizza delivered in a while because, I don't know, I'm just, like, afraid to order anything. But, mm-hmm. man, man. Man, that looked amazing. Do your pizza guys not take precaution now? Because we ordered we ordered pizza the other night here, and obviously it's now no contact and all this stuff, you know, virus everywhere. And the pizza guy turned up. This is completely true. Pizza guy turned up, and he opened the door to the, the foyer of where we are. He put the pizza on the ground and took four massive steps back. It was like a bomb defusal. And <laughs> and then he, once he was stood back, he said, "That's yours. Do you need a, do you need a hand getting it upstairs?" I was like, "No, I've I've got this. It's fine." <laughs> just it just threw me how far away you walked. Is it going to go off in my face? And he had no humor about it. It was so weird. But um, <laughs> you so you might find if you order pizza, you might you might have to act basically act out a hostage negotiation with the pizza delivery guy to get it. I put the money on the ground and take five steps back. I want to see the pizza down first. <laughs> as someone as someone who delivered pizza, I've I've had my share of strange deliveries, but nothing quite like the era we're living in today. What's the strangest delivery you ever had, Justin? I had a guy who insisted on checking every item because he got screwed over one time on a delivery many years ago. Did he eat it he in were, front were... of you to make sure? <laughs> Uh, no, actually, it was my restaurant that screwed him over before, before oh. I even worked there because one of the um the, the person who delivered it was the brother of the guy who owned the place, and uh, he he thought he, he was told a different price over the phone, so there was an argument. So the owner's brother started eating that pizza right in front of him just to piss him off. <laughs> I love the pettiness. I like the pizza place. <laughs> so Toad Petting Zoo's wardrobe this week <laughs> is what I would classify as pseudo mid '90s hip. It is not the worst thing he's ever worn. It was like he's hosting a talk show on syndication. I thought he was dressed like a vicar. The first time I saw him, like, I was kind of half paying attention. I looked up and he had his button done up at the top. I thought, why is he dressed like a vicar? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, it's the 90s. Okay. It's like something Ricky Lake would wear. <laughs> Honestly, in these days of being stuck inside, I could use Ricky Lake so bad right now. And Jenny Go, jo- Ricky. Go, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. We are missing we are missing some Ricky Lake. Is she she's still with us, isn't she? I feel really bad now. Yeah. She's she still with us. Okay. She's just not on te- yeah, she's just uh-huh. not on television. Yes, yeah, she, she like rebooted the show like in twenty eleven, I wanna say. And uh yeah, like bombed and then uh that was it. Yeah, she made a comeback, Arsenio made a comeback briefly. Yeah. Oh oh yeah, so it was twenty thirteen that she did it. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I was like way in on that Arsenio comeback, and I was really disappointed that that didn't sustain. Yeah, Ar- Arsenio was kind of a touchdown back in the day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we find out- he, by the way, was great for this era. Like the the way Arsenio used to have like 
uh, especially like around 92. Like I, I go back just when I'm bored sometimes and watch like his interview with Big Boss Man um, because he would like Arsenio would have um, wrestlers on like any talk show does, but they would oh, always yeah. be a character. And that's what was so great about uh, Arsenio as a talk show <laughs> was that uh, he would bring on guys to like put over their feuds. And put over whatever was going on in WWF at that point. And it was so good. And I used to always look forward to when a wrestler was announced mm-hmm. on Arsenio. There's like a Mount Rushmore of four great WWF moments on Arsenio. Hogan's messed up interview where he basically tanked his own career. Um, <laughs> Warrior destroying furniture because he was a stinging character. And Arsenio had no idea what the hell to do. The interview with Bad News Brown. And the interview with Rick Rude. Yes. That was, uh, of course, the Hogan one is probably the most infamous. But there's so much more than that, and that's what I love about it. There's literally you just look up Arsenio and any major wrestler around that point, and you'll have some fun. Do you ever have Slick on the show? Uh, I think so. I gotta find this now. I've got hell. I've got time. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got time now. It's the one quantity that we have an abundance of. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of time. Right, because he had um, he had Slick. Uh, Hakeem and um, and Bossman. That was the one I was talking about. Uh, because um, he had uh, so Hakeem was of course doing the African Dream gimmick and uh, and Arsenio and he's like talking to Arsenio like a fellow black man and um, that, <laughs> that one's my favorite. That's my absolute favorite because like Arsenio is not no selling it. He is absolutely selling this as like, hey, this giant white guy is definitely my brother. And it's it's so good. You won't get that interview on Carson. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna get that interview at all. So SummerSlam ninety four uh, has no such fun unfortunately. Well it has a couple promising matches. We find out that Luger will face the Tonka finally. See that's fun. And he- that's going to be fun. The two most popular stars in wrestling today, according to Todd. Todd would never lie to exactly. us. Exactly. In Todd we trust. I got to say, for this whole bit, Todd did not annoy me except for one part. He made some sort of joke about Meteor slamming into Jupiter and goes, <laughs> and then jumps ahead to the next thing. We're I had to look that up, by the way, because I was like, did a Meteor actually, because that feels like a, a timed reference. So uh, I had to go look it up, and apparently um, there was like a Meteor crash in 94, uh, where Jupiter was, uh, according to this, bruised by uh, the comet's impact. And I'm like, okay, that felt like – because he wouldn't just say that. I'm like, that doesn't mm-hmm. feel like something that anybody with any sense of wit would just say. Uh, so that had to have been like a real thing. And it turns out it was. Well, Todd has a sense of wit either way. <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys have to give him too much credit now. So besides, besides Louis Tonka, we have Taker Taker, Brett Owen, Diesel Razor. And Todd suggests that Razor could use some backup after what happened in that last match. Oh, does that mean what I think it means? Bruce Hart. <laughs> well, well, we can hope. But I'm, uh-huh. I was thinking maybe uh, one of his fellow NWO members like Scott Norton or, uh, or I don't know, Stevie Ray. Now, that's that's some backup right there. Virgil. Soul Train Jones, that's right. Oh, get Soul Train in there. This is this is all building to um, who is this is this is one this is going to be one two three kid is it not? It is not. Oh, I stand corrected. Somebody a little more famous, perhaps a little more uh, famous locally from where the show is going to be, but someone all in all who is not a bad choice given oh, uh CM Punk. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, yeah, good guess. Good. That's how, that's how the Akamari between he and Sean started. Oh, <laughs> yes, I do it. Pope confirmed for SummerSlam. Kevin Nash was IC champion. I thought he was dead. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> so then we come to what I'm going to term to be the best women's match in WF history to this point. Not, now, having not seen every women's match in history to this point in the company, <laughs> I'm... Um, I'm taking a major risk here. I'm, I'm assuming upon 35 years of history that this is the best, and I'm probably not wrong. Bull Nakano versus Alundra Blaze in a non-title match. And you know Bull is being integrated immediately because she's got the Orient Express theme song. <laughs> they literally just went, oh, I'll give her the Orient Express theme. It's fine. <laughs> Are you Japanese? Can you vaguely play a Japanese character? Well, we're giving you the gong and the chimes. Ching, dang, ding, 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 ding. You know how it goes. <laughs> it's a rite of passage at this point. It really is. It really is. But Takawa Mori got it in '96 Rumble. His Japanese just gave it to him. How do we feel about Randy Savage constantly calling her Bull Naka 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 No? Am I a bit uncomfortable with that, <laughs> or am I just being oversensitive? Um, it's uh, it's a weird quirk. I don't know if it's really like offensive per se. I mean, I, 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 I can't comment on whether or not it's offensive, honestly. If someone's offended by it. You know, that's that's their offense. To me, it's just inane. It's just silly. Uh, I don't know. It had me thinking about the fact that that's like literally currently happening with Justin Roberts calling Michael Nakazawa to the ring. Um, and uh, that, that was the only thought I had at that point. Well, it's uh, two very different people. I, I would say the the next segment is also like way more like on the level of offense from this show. I would say that uh, the next segment kind of wiped anything else I would have had. Oh yes. Oh well, yes. We'll have plenty to say about that. Oh god. Bull, Bull is seconded by Luna Vachon, who's wearing her best La, unfinished La Parker cosplay. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this outfit she's wearing. It's very much an outfit she's wearing. That's the best way I can describe it. So she should grab one aisle of a Halloween store and just throw it on. I think she just ran through a Halloween store and things just fell off the shelves. I'm like, that'll do! <laughs> it's, um, it's different. Mm-hmm. So the story here is that Blaze gets completely brutalized. She gets hair dragged all around the ring and she gets thrown, swung around, just high velocity on her spins as... Nakano just rips her apart. Nakano was a beast. Absolutely she was a unit. Did um did anybody else notice a wardrobe malfunction? I don't look for this sorts of things. No, I me. didn't look for it. I'm not a poor vort, <laughs> but um, is I'm I'm sure on the second hair throw, you see um the you you see the the tights of a Lundra Blaze rip. I couldn't tell. Like, I wasn't going to pause it and check, because it's weird. But I, it did certainly look like Lunger Blaze like, was thrown so hard, it actually ripped her gear. i got to say, I, I didn't really tend to notice. Maybe it was just me, then. Maybe it was just, me, maybe mm. it was just the colour scheme, and I looked like it had ripped. That could be. It's, uh, I mean, it was a brutal throw. <laughs> so Savage <laughs> Brad added a little levity to this beatdown. Bull puts Blaze in a simple chokehold. You know, when you're mad at someone, he's grabbed by the throat. Well, you, you shouldn't do that. But if you were if you were to choke someone, this is how you would do it. You just reach forth and just seize their neck with both hands. So, 
Borg starts choking Blade, and Savage goes, what kind of hold do they call that in Japan? They call it a choke hold. <laughs> it's not some, like, exotic submission hold that you've never seen before. <laughs> like, of all the moves for Savage to get on and say, like, oh, what's this exotic thing? On the subject of comment, on the commentary for this match, um, lads, do you know the interesting, there was the interesting thing that Vince and Savage said that caught my ear? Do tell. It's a trick question. They said nothing of interest. They clearly <laughs> had no idea about either of them, and it really, really annoyed me. Like they were just, they were just make, they were just, they were saying nothing for this whole thing. We had no background on like. The, the, on the life and times of Alundra Blaze, we had nothing on Bull Nakano. It just felt like they were like they were just plopped in front of this match. And I thought you always assume like Vincent Mann is there to tell these stories because he's the guy writing these stories. You'd always assume that he knows a little bit about the wrestlers he's hiring. But the more and more I watch him on commentary, I realise actually you don't. He probably sees him as filler. More than likely. And, I mean, it's a shame because you have two very talented women here. And, and and they're having this rip roaring match for six or seven minutes. I mean, fans are going nuts for it too, especially halfway through when uh, Bull misses the flying senton leg drop and Blaze gets the backdraft German suplex for two. They were into this. Really solid match. Will, what did you make of this one? No, I enjoyed this match uh, a lot, a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, and mainly it was just because you know I. I uh, I tend to forget about this time period in women's wrestling because uh, we, uh, when you think about the '90s in women's wrestling, I think the first thing that more so comes to mind is like the late '90s with Sable and Jacqueline and all that, where like there weren't actual matches happening. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess I I was almost like mentally ready to like tune out the wrestling, but I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna give this a chance. And I was pleasantly surprised. I thought this was actually very good. Uh, and uh, I thought Alundra Blaze actually looked really good out there. Uh, I don't know. I just I enjoyed it. It was actually a very good watch. Ends up being a double counter after Blaze dives onto the Kano on the floor. Uh, it's kind of a cheap finish, but uh, as I noted, probably the best women's match in, in company history to this point, <laughs> despite being six minutes and having a non-finish. It's the best they've done so far. These two will meet again, won't they, very soon? Still a very good watch for the show. We're two for two in the match department. Will we go two for three? Eh, no. Spoiler. <laughs> but we do get a little future echo that, like, the, this, the, the, the following bit they showed us was a was a was a handy reminder of, oh yeah, yeah, this is the good episode of Raw. This, don't worry, it's back to normal next week. Bam Bam Piccolo and IRS, they are a new team of friends. Doink the clown and Tatanka. They're a team because of reasons. They'll fight next week. That's the roar I know and love in 1994. Oh, beautiful. What a disaster that will be. <laughs> I can't imagine doing the Tonga as a tag team in any capacity because they have, like, no traits in common whatsoever. You know what? I reckon, I reckon the, the people that enjoy or endure what you and I do on a week just, and this week, uh, Mr. Washington, I reckon they will know what to do with this. So your challenge for next week is to come up with a name for the Doink and Tatanka tag team. Ooh, this could be good. Going down the challenge, at JRH Writing, at Tom Campbell on Twitter, and uh, give us a name for the Doink Tatanka tag team. You have seven days from now. I'm sure some of our 
more perverse minds will come up with something very disturbing oh. that'll make me laugh out loud. Well, the more perverted, the better on this. Account. Yeah, you can't be disturbing enough on this. So then we come to talking to disturbing. Arguably, arguably the best part of the show. <laughs> Depends who you're asking. Yeah, I was gonna say debatable, but Jerry uh, Lawler says this is five star. I will I, say the uh, who. What I got the most entertainment out of, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I said arguably. <laughs> I, I, I didn't say indisputably. <laughs> you know, the weird thing is, I'm like looking at the clock and wondering, like, is something wrong? Because didn't they say there's another match coming up? Hmm. Maybe there's like something off on WWE Network. That was my thought as I'm like watching this tick by and I'm like, there seems to only be like 10 minutes left in the show. What's going on? Yes, we're but watching it, like something uh, broken here. Yeah, uh, I, I, it, it makes sense literally in about ten minutes. But uh, as we get here, Jerry Lawler, please let us know what what happened here. Well, we have a special King's Court with Bob Backlund. Now, this should have been a really big deal because over the weekend, we had a very random, very arbitrary, but yet very important heel turn. Because as Tommy and I mentioned on last week's show, Brett face, was going to face Bob Backlund and Superstars in a clash of generations for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Brett won a really good match narrowly with an inside cradle. Backlund thought he won initially, but it was, it was actually a two count. And after the match, Backlund became very disillusioned with the fans cheering for Brett. And when Brett would shake his hand, Backlund smacked him across the face, put him in the crossface chicken wing, and tried to injure him. After that, the referees pulled Backlund off. This is very uncharacteristic of Backlund, who's usually a a great sportsman and a respectable man. Backlund was on his hands and knees, staring at his hands, like in disbelief of what he had just done. That is the prelude for this King's Court, which should be a pretty big interview given you know the implications here. I mean, he just beat up the world champion without, without much provocation other than losing a match and you know being a sore sport or whatever. We don't know why he did what he did, really. But first, we have more important business to get to. More important than a man turning heel that's about to challenge the world champion. Jerry Lawler comes out to – well, first he goes into the crowd. He, he does get a funny joke about Savage Dates being inflatable, which Vince makes a great face at. Then Lawler finds his couple, the man of whom I think is Opie from Opie and Anthony. We're doing the old wedding proposal angle that Bobby Heenan did on Raw before. But this can't just be as simple as like a little 30-second bit. Oh, no, we're going to drag this out. The guy proposes. He, he doesn't get on one knee because he's lazy. Has no work rate at all for marriage proposals. We, we go to break for the drama before we get her answer. We come back from break. Lawler's in the ring with the girl. The man is still in the crowd. So she says yes. He gives her some advice. Meanwhile, Bob Backlund is just hanging out in the background. Like he's just, Here's a guy who just beat up the world champion. He's just chilling on the ring steps in a suit, just waiting, to, waiting for his turn to talk to Jerry Lawler while this all-important angle is taking place with guy whose name we've forgotten and girl whose name we've forgotten. Then Lawler tries to, tries to force a kiss on the girl. I'm thinking, is this wise given his recent history? Oh, everything about this was cringe. Uh, <laughs> going back to the fact that, like, one, why is this happening through a commercial break? Like, think about watching this live in, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, in 1994 and – Wanting to know, is she going to accept her proposal? Even though she, like, nodded as soon as he said, will you marry me? And the fact that Jerry Lawler, like, as he's introducing her, says, uh, possibly future fiancé. So he also spoiled what was going to happen. Oh, uh, he ruined it, didn't he? 
Like he was like, he wants to ask you something. This is his girlfriend or possibly future fiance. And I, I just thought, well, there goes that. Um, and then like, as he asked, she like nods and, uh, but he's like, let's pull her in the ring and let's really get the answer there. And so we're going to wait till after the commercial break. And I just thought, but we, we know, like, we know this isn't going to go poorly unless this is, at least these are plants and you got an angle going here, but clearly you don't. Um, and then, yeah, then he, like, grabs her and kisses her, and she looks so uncomfortable. And, of course, I just thought about all of Jerry Lawler's history, everything we know about Jerry Lawler at this point, including at this point, not even what we know now, uh, but everything we knew at this point. And, uh, and then he made a line that made me think about, like, everything we know about Jerry Lawler's marriages, where uh, he said, if you guys ever reproduce, I want to have one of the pups. Um, and I thought, you know... I know the joke he was trying to make there, mm-hmm. but knowing what we know now, it really sounded like he just wants their kid. I, I, I didn't get that at all. I think it was just making like an ugly joke. Oh, no, I was saying that was the joke he was trying to make. I got that. Mm-hmm. But the point, but I just felt like knowing kind of all the jokes we make about Jerry Lawler now, it suddenly just had a completely different connotation. Yeah, I, can't, I must admit when I watched it, that crossed my mind as well. It could have been a much more charming bit if they just kept it shorter and didn't drag it out where Lawler had to fill time with more jokes and more jokes and especially while poor Bob Backlund is just waiting for his turn. And It's like, where the hell were their priorities at this point? Um, I, I feel like this was, you know, a lot of people criticize modern WWE for the way it's structured and the way like uh, everything almost like feels uh, as as my old buddy matt galloway constantly puts it he'll say monday night raw feels more like monday night cooked because it is nothing about the show feels raw it feels like it's uh everything is worked on a timer however this is one of those cases where i can see why that exists because uh one just how long things were running here and you could really use that stage hands that's usually standing off screen yelling 30 seconds <laughs> Yeah, it's a, this is a, this is Monday Night E. coli. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is um, this was bad. This was um, this derailed. The, it's like the old joke about the guy who's eating the bowl of chili, and, and, and the guy is, and the guy next to him is eating a he, he's sitting in front of a full bowl of chili, and you can't imagine why the guy's not eating it. So he's eating his, and it's really good. He gets down to the bottom of the bowl, and there's a big turd in it. So he spits all the chili back out into the bowl, and the guy, the guy goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's as far as I got. <laughs> it's like, like, it, this is really good for a while, and then all of a sudden you get to the bottom of the bowl, and there it is. Um, I was watching this episode of Raw in the in the living room at our, at our place. So uh, because obviously we're all self-isolated at the moment, and the Coltolic office is, is in my house. And so I thought, I'll watch Raw in the living room my good lady uh, was playing the sims on the laptop so i thought i'll put this on and i'll watch this we get to the jerry lawler bit and it's one of those occasions where and they happen they, they don't happen as often anymore because I'm a, I'm a big boy now but it's one of those occasions where as a wrestling fan you just want to curl up and die because you're trying to trying to explain what's going on and it's like there's no there's no way to explain this this is a, a this is and i i i I found myself saying, I, I think this is a plant. This has to be a plant. Because otherwise, this is just a dirty old man sexually assaulting a woman on live television. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure 
they discussed beforehand what they were going to do. At least I hope that's what that's that's what oh, happened. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> How about we stop dignifying this garbage and just move on to the. How they botched the next part of this. Yay! Because from this point on, wow, the show comes off the rails. This is where it's <laughs> as if somebody, for the first time in a good 40 minutes, looked at a watch. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the part where the clown car flew off the cliff while on fire. Amazing. From here, Roar is just a hot mess, and I'm here for it. So they're portraying Bob Backlund as having never lost a belt upon winning in 1970 since technically you know the towel throw in he shouldn't have lost the belt in 83 but then again all the matches he's lost in the last two years shouldn't he shouldn't should he really become the undisputed champion i mean he's lost like doink on house shows and razor at wrestlemania so he kind of has no claim anymore he lost to brett like that's yeah that's yeah. the one which you've had the return match yeah that's it the... We're not still calling Bobby Lashley the uncrowned ECW champion. That's not a thing. No, that's forever Ezekiel Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is still the champion. Well, I, technically, yeah. Going on uh, 10 years now. Congratulations to that's Ezekiel right. Jackson cracking the decade as ECW champion. Yay, Big Rick. This here is what you call domination. <laughs> so, back on who, who has very Donald Trump-like hair here, I should point out. I don't know where that all came, where that main came from, but it's definitely an interesting look. Mm. He, he, he he talks about how he tried to boon our lives. I started to secretly mark out a little bit because this is the back one I love the most. We start using words that you don't use in everyday conversation. Talk about how we've changed, and he's disappointed in how weak we are because he benefited us financially. He tried to inspire us. He's going on, and then to my consternation, Vincent Savage starts talking over him. Oh, man. Yeah, this was, again, one of those things that made me appreciate the modern structure of Raw, of somebody being able to tell someone to uh, hit their cue in the ring so that we can cut to whatever we need to. As uh, Vince and Savage are just talking over and trying to cut to uh, trying to cut to the clip they had. And oh, it was so bad. Yeah, I. I suspect at this point they knew they were over time, so they just had to push us along, and they had to get the, um, you know, the highlights in uh, of the angle from over the weekend. But they were just, I think partially they were just in a bad spot and didn't know what to do because they were so effed on time. Whether it was the Sean Razor match going over or the proposal thing going way too long, whatever the case may have been, they really screwed the pooch this week. I think the proposal was the problem because okay, the Sean match went long fine but then you've got then you've but you've still got time to repair it like the bull nakano alundra blaze match went short okay that's brilliant because now you can repair it but then you had like this six six minutes it must have been five or six minutes of this marriage proposal this that just bloated out the last bit of the show and if you just got rid of all of that and just had somebody go right jerry drop the marriage proposal bit we ain't got time they'd have got over it the, 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 the fiancé would have got over not being sexually assaulted by Jerry Lawler. She'd have found a way in her heart to get over it. And the show would have run much better. But alas, it happened. And we got a, and we just got Backlund talked over. It made me really sad. Yeah, this is a, this is a wasted opportunity here. But, but they will make up for it. But I'll tell you, you really got screwed over with the smoking guns. Before we get to them, can I drop in a little bit more from the Wrestling Observer? This is amazing, lads. Sure. Right. Okay. So 
we've seen tonight and over the weekend like the 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 embryonic stages of this new wild and crazy bob backland who's going to lose his mind he's just going to become this old man that yells at cloud but uses big words to do it and he's just going to be this out of touch leader of the new generation it's going to be one of the most intriguing characters uh on mm-hmm. on wwf in sort of the late in late 1994 um do you know what they had planned for it at one point <laughs> i i do but let's see if will knows i don't right brace yourself will from the wrestling observer um bob backland worked monday night raw as a heel and went berserk looking at his hands after the match he had on the weekend like he was possessed there is talk that papa shango is returning in the fall and will fit into this angle as the man casting a spell on bob backland nice (laughs) oh why didn't this happen this sounds amazing shango turning up and turning backland crazy that that like makes perfect sense and i mean when i say perfect sense i mean perfect sense in a very 1994 wwf sense but um yeah i want this like i still kind of want this <laughs> like, I have to say, mainly because at this time period I think part of why I preferred – all right, here's a little bit of confession time with, with William R. R. Washington here uh, on Cultaholic. Are you ready? Okay. Um, so part of the reason I was more into WCW than WWF was because of Papa Shango because, mind you, I was seven at the time. Um, Papa Shango, for, of course, first came in when I was five. He was coming when you were was... four, but he missed his cue. <laughs> <laughs> I was – terrified of papa shango he gave me nightmares there is nobody in pro wrestling i was more scared of when people talk about oh yeah the undertaker used to scare me when i was a kid no papa shango terrified me are you kidding me the feud with warrior i literally thought that he could just make people vomit i literally thought that he could make you bleed motor oil from your head like i believed in papa shango it's so well those matches with warrior can make you vomit <laughs> And so, like, the idea to seven-year-old me, I could absolutely buy into the idea that Bob Backlund would suddenly be possessed by Papa Shango. <laughs> Try to imagine Backlund as part of the hoe train. John? <laughs> no, for the love of God. John! <laughs> Put Backlund no, 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 in we... the hoe train, John. The world... John. John, the world's not ready for John, that. Don't listen to him. He's got coronavirus. <laughs> don't listen to him. <laughs> don't, don't be spreading lies to this one. <laughs> don't spread coronavirus. Uh, John, put Backlund in the hotel. train. We, we, we have a duty to the public here to be uh, informative and truthful. <laughs> <laughs> Justin does not have COVID-19. You can give him a, a good old handshake if you see him. No, no don't do that. I don't want it from somebody else. <laughs> So we come to the alleged main event, which has two men to pull this off. It's the Smoking Guns versus George Anderson and Tom Bennett. I look at the timer here. We have under two minutes to go. This is the two-minute warning. And we have a commercial break as well. <laughs> this is, there's a lot going on here for this um, very inconsequential match. Guns hit the double teams. Billy, gets, Billy hits a Ric Flair knee drop for some reason. Savage still going about the whole all the legal stuff. Shut up, Savage. And with five seconds to go, they managed to finish one of them with the sidewinder as they're signing off. 
Amazing. So bad. So badly put together. Like, I don't, whether, I don't know whether Kevin Dunn popped out for a sandwich and came back. I don't know. But it all just went horribly wrong in the second half of the show. I seriously thought that the show was just going to cut off. I'm like, is there something wrong here? I mean, it did happen once with Undertaker and Skinner. No, it was Undertaker what? and Demento, wasn't it? No, Skinner. Oh, okay. I see to, oh, it was, I see to remember it was a match where... Um, like it went about twelve seconds, and the other guy was on top of Undertaker, and and they said, "Oh, we'll we'll find out what happened on this match next week," and we never did. Yeah, they're trying to protect Taker. Skinner kicked his ass. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing that we saw. But there you go. That was raw. Yeah, what a what a what a hot mess. Big fan. <laughs> good good first bit. Went a bit weird near the. Oh, end. absolutely. I was. I was excited because I was like, oh, wow, he picked a great show for me to jump in on. And uh, so I was excited to watch Razor and Sean. And uh, then the show just kind of fell off the rails. And even the women's match was good. Like, I feel like uh, the, those two things took up a good two-thirds of the show. Oh, yeah. It was um, – this was like watching the Godfather movies all in a row. Like the first two thirds of it, <laughs> two thirds of it, brilliant. You get to the end, like, why is Jerry Lawler trying to assassinate the Pope? <laughs> so next week on Raw, uh, with three three weeks to go to SummerSlam. After, once we get to next week, we've got a Titanic tag team match. Uh, the team that, according to the Wrestling Observer, is going to start being set up as the new Money Inc. Bam Bam Bigelow and IRS. Please put Bamium in DiBiase's tuxedo. It's just dawned on me, lads. It's just dawned on me. It actually makes sense. Money, Inc. Oh, because he's, oh, he's got tattoos. He's tatted. Ah, I get it. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but... No, I, bet, I bet it wasn't. Oh, <laughs> that works. But That was the purpose behind uh, famous TNA tag team, Inc. Inc. It was, wasn't it? And it hit... They yeah, were, they were a play on that. Well, how about when Beer Money was temporarily split because Bobby Roode was um was uh, injured? So uh, I think Alex Shelley joined the team, and they became Gun Money. It's like, well, the money half of the team is injured, so shouldn't it be like beer and guns? <laughs> That's a great combination, <laughs> and no one's ever got into any bother with that combination. Oh, never. So uh, we got that. So, so that's so it, uh, Money Inc. Versus Doink and Tatanka. We need a name for them. At JRH Writing, at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Uh, suggest those for you. Um, I'd like to thank our special guest, William R. Washington, for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having me. I was I had so much fun. Uh, Happy to have you on, Woods. It's been amazing. Will you come back at some point and do this all again? Anytime. Yeah, dude. Excellent. Uh, we'd like to now give you the floor to to shout about everything that is RBR Wrestling. This is your time. Go for it. Tell us where we can find you, Twitters, all that stuff, the Patreon. Go for it, sir. All right. Well, I have been hosting RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk for 15 years this year. We launched June 18, 2005. So we've got a lot of content. If you go on over to RBR Weekly Wrestling or RBRWrestling.com, it has the most available content of any wrestling podcast on the Internet. It is absolutely true. RBRWrestling.com has every episode we've ever published all the way going back to June 18, 2005, all the way to today. I swear to you, we have 757 episodes there, plus a lot of side content. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash RBRWrestling. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm 
I'm William RBR. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. It's Wrestling with Will. I just started a new series called Wrestling with My Friends, in which I uh, discuss some of my favorite professional wrestling matches with people who have never watched pro wrestling. It is one of my favorite things I've ever done. And um, right now we have our first episode up where we review Cody versus Dustin from Double or Nothing with one of my best friends, Carolina. Um, and then uh, with another friend of mine, we're reviewing uh, – I recorded the episode. I just have to finish editing it. But it's Brock versus Cena versus Seth Rollins from the 2015 Royal Rumble. Um, I've got a bunch more coming up. So please check that out. That's Wrestling with Will on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, rbrwrestling.com. Yes, friends. Thank you, sir. What? Thank you. Uh, JRH writing on Twitter. What are you doing this weekend? What are you, what are you writing? What's happening on the website? What are you doing? Doing the thing? You doing a writing or not? Uh, yeah, just some WrestleMania related matters. Uh, stuff to keep busy with because it's Mania season, although it's, it's obviously the dullest Mania season I can remember for obviously. <laughs> yeah, reasons. nothing's happening of any note, is there? It's just been so quiet. <laughs> I mean, it's um, in terms of getting excited for WrestleMania, it's kind of hard to. <laughs> Well, understandable, of course. <laughs> Will, actually, I must, I must, uh, I must ask you your thoughts on WrestleMania this year because I, I am, I'm living for it this year. It's just a, it's a beautiful train wreck. Oh man, um, I, I was really big on the idea of this show shouldn't happen, and then, uh, then they announced how it's happening, and I thought, all right, maybe. But like with all the news that's come out today, uh, I'm back on the why is this happening and it's already been taped right like so like um i see a lot of speculation about like what they can do because you know the show is obviously lost roman reigns and you know it's like what what's gonna happen um and i'm like i i don't know i it shouldn't be happening that's the bottom line to me i feel like if it does happen this is like the perfect stopping point of uh hey we should like pick up wrestling in a few months we should all take some time away to have a little think about what we've done. He's at JRH Writing. I'm at Tom Campbell. He's at William RBR. Together, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. We will see you next time. I love you. Bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.